Um, hello and welcome to the Diaspora Collective podcast. My name is Dominique and I am joined today by Melissa, Abba, Talali. And <laughs> this week we're joined by a very special guest, uh, Stacey Olika. She's an artist, curator, business owner and creative producer. Uh, this episode we will discuss museums as institutions of knowledge, why preserving racist statues aren't synonymous with preserving history and decolonizing the curriculum. Stacey, let's start with you giving a little bit us a little bit of insight into what you do. So as Dom said, um, I'm most importantly, I feel like I'm an artist, um, very creative at heart, and a lot of the work that I do centers on representation and identity. Um, and decolonizing um, the standards that have been set. So like in today's episode about museums, but even decolonizing um, beauty standards, um, the curriculum and what is deemed as normal in sort of a white society. So my work really centers around that. So it, it ranges from like photography, film, um, as well as like graphic design. Okay, That's perfect. Me. I mean, as someone who's involved in kind of the Bristol scene and like museums, what are your views in recent events of the Black Lives, La- Black Lives Matter protest taking down the Edward Coulson statue? And what do you think it says about the kind of people that are glorified in Britain today? Um, so, I mean, living in Bristol, um, everything that you kind of see around Bristol, um, a lot of it um, has its link to slavery because that's how Bristol made its money. That's how Bristol made its wealth. Um, so I think it's quite it's quite a hard thing for like someone in the city who wants to make a change and focus on representation to have to walk through a city where people like Edward Colston are glorified um, through the, his name on buildings, um, having statues of him. And obviously, as you said, Edward Colston was literally ripped um, off of his, um, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, and the river. Um, and do you know what? It, do you know what? it was actually beautiful to see. And I think I, 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 had, tears, I had tears in my eyes. Um, and I think the reason I had that is just because when you're fighting for mm. something to happen for so long and then for the action to happen literally in mm. like a couple of minutes um, and to see history being made, I think it's quite special. Um, so what was the latter part of the question? I'm so sorry. Um, what do you think it says about the kind of people that are glorified in Britain today? Um, I mean, what we see, we see it, don't we? It's like very Eurocentric. Um, they have this perception of like, only the whites contributed mm. to Bristol's mm. or Britain's history and everything else mm. that isn't part of that is like, get out of our country. You're not a part of the society. Um, and unfortunately, as we see, that is still the case today. And I know a lot of people are talking about how, but the whole George Floyd situation is not the same, like, UK is not the same as America, but when you look at it, like, mm-hmm. UK birthed America, UK birthed racism in America, um, it's, not, it's not to the same level, um, but as you can see with Edward Colston and him mm. even being a monument says a lot about the racism that Bristol and Britain has and who they, who they uphold in society as being deemed worthy. I mean, do you know what's mad? I, for the first time, I went to see the Edward Colston statue the other day when it was gone. And the plaque at the front says, 
um, a man that was like the virtues and wise. Mm. The audacity. The like, awful, awful life. Absolutely awful. Exactly. Trust me. And I, and I read it and I was like, virtuous. I was like, that's how you describe like Bible mm. characters. You didn't describe bus- like yeah. a Eight, human trafficker. 84,000 enslaved people he trafficked as well. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to ask a question. Oh yeah, Stacey, you were there when he, the, the statue got taken off of the, um, the plinth. What, how do you feel yeah. about the fact that it was white people specifically that uh, pulled the statue down because I think that's quite significant mm-hmm. yeah um do you know what? I, for me I saw it as a as a way of them I don't know it might people might think differently but of them showing their like solidarity um and it's funny though because the way then the media turns it around they were making it look like oh it was mm. the Black Lives Matter um like yeah. protesters with black mm. people that were involved in the like I saw these people tying the thing around his neck and pulling it and I saw white hands mm. and that was it. And obviously after it got after it got toppled down, everybody was gassed and then <laughs> black people jumped onto like mm, was mm. it the plinth or whatever? People yeah. like, jumped onto that. And like it was it was so mm. powerful to kind of mm-hmm. see that unity for like a second. Like even though we're, even though people were there fighting for like racial injustice, for that second you mm. really saw mm. people coming together. And it was like, do you know what? Like, it, it had like, was it like a glimpse of hope? It's what I saw okay, in that I'm kind of moment. moment. So, yeah. I, I think, Stacey, one thing that you picked on was kind of the effort they went through to take it down in that moment. But I think it's really important that people understand the effort that, that people in Bristol had been going through before this to get the statue removed. Um, mm. And you were involved in some of those efforts. Mm. Do you mind just kind of giving us that information? Because I think there's a misconception that this is something people didn't care about until it was a time for vandalism um, mm. and just being disrespectful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, even even before I got involved, like, like petitions to take Edward Colston have been going on before I was even born. And that's like, what, 23 years ago, um, before I was even living in the city. Um, so yeah and then I've been part of conversations in the city with cultural institutions about how do we move forward with Edward Coulson being there and initially it was like labels being changed and then obviously we couldn't agree on the labeling because it still painted Edward in like Mm. this positive light um Mm. and it being a statue and people walk past it they immediately take um the labeling on that as like Mm. facts Mm. No one that goes home to question the situation unless you have an actual interest mm. in the history of Bristol and you want to find out why this is there. That's what a lot of black mm. people have had to do. And I feel like a lot of white people might not have necessarily done. They just kind of just taken that word for word. So yeah, it's been it's been it's been, it's been frustrating having to continue having these kind of conversations beforehand. So obviously, in the eyes of the law, yes, it's vandalism, but morally, it has never it's yeah. it's not yeah. wrong at all. I mean. I always I always give this example and I'm like I mean legally it was like we had to sit at the back mm. of the bus. Mm. Yeah. Morally morally that was never mm. that was never right. Not like illegally we were not allowed to work in mm. specific places. Morally that was never right. So those yeah. things don't always equate. Mm-hmm. Completely yeah. agree. <laughs> I was just gonna ask like I know you mentioned museums as um like an institution of knowledge and where you where you think that you find facts I think that brings us on to the next point if everyone's happy to move on um just about contextualizing 
history I think it's important to note that like history is kind of written by certain people specifically white cis straight men there are lots of historical knowledge that we've lost and we have to really search in the margins to understand um like black contributions uh black people and their contributions to history uh black women and their contributions to history um uh black lgbtq people and their contributions to history um and i think sort of museums specifically um i I don't think ostracize is the right word but neglect to include those people when they sort of kind of create these uh, um uh exhibitions and they're then seen as factual in a sense so Mm. um I know you're going to be working on sort of contextualising um, the monument in Bristol. How is that going? <laughs> um, I mean, at the moment we're at, we're like mm-hmm. at the early stages, um, mm-hmm. but one the conversations that we we've been having um, are just to keep in mind that, that you need to have the people who whose lives it affects to be mm. able to tell the story. Um, you need to have people from that background. Um, and if you don't, um, it's very easy mm. then for it to get whitewashed. <laughs> and that's what, that's what a lot of museums, I mean, a lot of labelling mm. museums have mm. been that. And paint mm. Britain as this, like, glorified em- empire that has done no wrong or that has, like acquired objects rather mm. than stolen yeah. objects do you get me um so that we're, we're yeah we're at the very early stages but i mean i see it going in a good direction i i have a feeling like i can't even lie i have a feeling it mm. will have a lot of backlash but it might, it's got like um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah so like if you don't have people that are representative mm. of like the lives it yeah. affected it means to me like to mm. me it means absolutely nothing like you you just Definitely. cannot i think yeah. Like what we're picking up on is just the the way history goes based on the people mm. who have autonomy to tell the stories. Mm. Yeah. And I mean the argument against yeah. the major argument against like the statue removal is loads of people like, you know, you're you're destroying history, statues are there to preserve history. And it's a big I think it's a big misconception. Like people get statues because they're glorified and they're mm. adored. And mm. even like you said, mm. Stacey, when you walked past yeah. The, his statue when it existed on the plaque the information was so wrong because yeah. the point wasn't to educate people <laughs> about this man it was to just like further the kind of like the propaganda and the story of him because you know yeah. in his time he was yeah. a big slave owner and slavery built Britain and mm. look what we should look up to which is like empire and like Britain being great off the back of other people like that's what that represents it's not like you mm. went there and it gave you a Wikipedia worth of information about his mm. life. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think a lot of the time people need to get their head around what is actually there for education and what is actually there just to push mm-hmm. a narrative that the people in power want us to understand. Yeah. Um, I think this also extends beyond um, just the UK as well, because, I mean... And, and more towards like colonial powers in general and I don't want to generalize because I know certain countries might or do stuff a little bit different but when I was living in Amsterdam I'm sure I've told you guys this before as well but I went to the Rijksmuseum and I'm 
okay for people that don't know um that are listening i'm originally from south africa i lived there till i was eight so i went to an exhibition um at the rijks museum in amsterdam about uh the cape of good hope and basically the end of the apartheid and as i walked in i saw this like sort of info like snippet and it was like south africa and the netherlands have been long-term friends and I was just like, this is why, like, it's so, it's so, like... Uh, All I can and, think of is that video from, yeah. um, from Love and Hip Hop where she holds a piece of paper up and she's like, it's a lie! It was all a lie! It was all a lie! It was all a lie! But I, like, I walked in and I was like, is that what we're calling it now? Like, is that what we're calling colonialism Ridiculous. now? Ridiculous! so wild and so, yeah. like... The audacity of it all. And like you said, Stacey, like this is why it's so important for people that were affected by this history to have a voice and have a stake in how it gets contextualized because that's not a fact. And you like, who knows how many um, schools and stuff went and saw that exhibition and then they're like, the children are growing up thinking that they had this such a friendly, friendly relationship with South Africa. And it's just not true. Yeah. Um, They were getting yeah. yeah also sorry to pick up on what Delilah said there was um I think when you do create a statue like you said it glorifies um the person but it also creates this illusion that they're, mm. they're beyond criticism yeah for example yeah Winston yeah. Churchill's statue <laughs> I'm gonna bring it up Ridiculous. and like put that to the floor um yeah <laughs> I mean I think the stat the, the Churchill stuff is insane because like I've been reading articles this week with titles that that are like, despite being a lifelong racist and white supremacist, Winston Churchill was still a great man, and his strengths far outweigh his weaknesses. <laughs> can you hear yourself when you why say, can't it be the other way? Why, when you say something like that, how yeah, can, how can somebody be a lifelong supremacist and be a great man? And it's mm. what Britain is willing to yeah. accept and allow because he won them the war, and I'm not. Well, that's what they're saying. He won them the war, but I think we all know, like, like we all said, it doesn't take one person to win a war, especially when millions and millions of people died. Um, And historically, to check the facts, like, you know, we were plummeting, and then we got Russia, um, and we got the US's support, and that's really how we turned things around. Um, But I think that is just that's so offensive for me to for me to hear and I think for us as people from Africa we know what Winston Churchill did in Africa we know what he did with like the Bengali famine like Mm -hmm. he's responsible for the death of so many people from like um who were from the BAME community and their ancestors there's a lot of pain in that um and like Abba said Mm. why can't it be both we're not trying to take away from the fact that in Britain this man was a big symbol of morale in wartime and you know there's a lot of people who are still alive from that time and they can attest yeah. to you know what he did in terms of keeping people going but why aren't we allowed to have our pain and our narrative of what he was like to our people mm. um and like i think mm. the it, people are so entrenched in that thinking like i've i told you guys i've been involved in conversations where the feedback has been like I should be thankful to Winston Churchill because, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be in this country. Ooh. Which, when you contextualise that... A statement. Like, it's not just a statement. It's a, it's a quiet statement. Like, you are going in deep to be able to say Very something well. like that with your chest. Um, mm. So it does prop up... It props up a lot of really, like, dangerous narratives around, like, Black people's presence in this country... Um, and our place here but I do think like like Abba said we should be allowed to have 
like our relation to him which is negative that doesn't negate what he did yeah. to you mm-hmm. but how can we have to give that up to buy into your story of who he is um yeah. i don't think that's right yeah yeah i think there's always a saying yeah. when or maybe it's the same I decided to make up. It probably isn't. But you know, when it's it's like for all the good that you do, like everything that you build up to kind of show all the good that you've done, all it takes is for one bad thing for everyone to remember you for that. And it's like you're kind of told that in normal everyday life. Whereas mm-hmm. these monuments have done horrific things. And I'm not trying to say that they have to be known for that, but they should be known for that as well as mm what they have done we're not taking away from what they did the history that they made like these statues get made to commemorate them for the massive amounts of change that they've had or even money that they've invested in the different places that they had influence but then to negate the fact that they've or to take away from the fact that they've also done things that are awful and horrific to say that we are trying to take away from history or trying to change kind of the narrative of what they've done it's always been there it's just it's not been heightened Mm. sorry just to basically wrap that part up i think it's just really important to say that the reason why i think ex-colonial powers have a real difficulty navigating including their past um in like the historical context or including atrocities in their past in the historical context is because as delilah said in last week's podcast it just it's irreconcilable with their um uh status in today's political Mm. world stage like the Netherlands is seen as like are a beacon for LGBTQ rights, yet they colonized um, like the Western Cape, and then also like the UK is part of all of these huge like organizations, global organizations, yeah, like DFID and all of that sort of stuff doing international. Yeah, development. so it's like how how can you reconcile a past of like literally the exploitation and killing of uh, people that don't look like you with this new contemporary kind of longing to develop the world but is that not just neo-colonialism anyway 100% yeah but even though like with I feel like they're looking back onto the past and stuff like in England I feel like this kind of, it's like rose-tinted glasses. Like, even if they were to look back at it, they'd be like, oh, but, you know, we just did this, we made them Christian, we blah, blah, like, all this kind of stuff. So I don't know, like, even if they did reconcile it, I think it wouldn't even work. Yeah. Um, And Del said the other day that, like, British nationalism is very, like, violent. Yeah. (laughs) And, like... Um, and was it like it's, and in, in all honesty like you said you said something like it's built on the, like, the oppression of other people yeah, and they definitely. become so normalised to it the, so when we speak about the pain it's like I'm sorry what like okay that was pain but you like no pain was done mm. to you Yeah. like mm-hmm. you're okay today so why are we talking about what happened so long ago and they don't understand that all of that is so deep rooted and then manifests itself in so much like um, whether it's like the prison justice system. <laughs> um, basically, this it? is still like going on today, though, because like there's a, a campaign for David Curtin to be mayor, and it's like London needs a new mayor. Vote for me, and I'll end political correctness in the Metropolitan Police. Oh, Refocus the police on catching criminals, keeping London safe. Undo Khan's road blockages. 
restore pride in our history and heritage. Hashtag make London great again. So, oh my gosh. So what? this is my this is my point that Stacey raised. When it comes to like British pride and British nationalism, nobody would have a problem with it if you being proud of your country didn't mean that somebody else has to be othered or has to yeah. be oppressed for you to do yeah. that. And I don't know why, like like British people feel like they're being attacked. Like you see loads of stuff like, oh, so you can't even be proud to be British anymore. You can be proud to be British as much as you like. But it's the fact that like every single time it comes to a moment for being proud, like someone always has to lose for you to have that moment. Like we said, for you yeah. to make Britain great again. Okay, that's built on getting rid of political correctness, which is really built on the right ways you should talk about people of different identities and their like access to, you know, equality and being addressed correctly as they should do. Um, so that's what they need to deal to deal with. If you guys found a way to be proud, to have statues of people that meant a lot to British history without that being built on the pain of somebody else or built on the negative experience of somebody else, I don't think any of us would have a problem. Or um, even just acknowledging it. Yeah. Being like, mm, I'm proud yeah. of this, but I'm not so proud of this. This was, in fact, very unchilled. Yeah. 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 <laughs> to say, like, America yeah. doesn't have issues, but I mean they had to fight for days like Juneteenth and stuff to be like nationally mm. recognized but this country that like you guys pointed out like had such a hand in slavery um and and in those colonialist experiences there's not a single day where they really recognize that um mm. do, do you know what I mean like it's not really spoken about Black History Month in school and this will go full circle to decolonizing the curriculum we used to learn so much about like Americans black history we barely used to learn anything about black British history like I feel like as like somebody from who's so I'm second generation from Ghana the the amount of times I feel in this country for black people who were around here to be recognized is so minimal it just doesn't exist in this country we don't have those platforms we don't have those spaces um so yeah I feel like there's a lot of work that needs to be done concurrently at the same time if we go back and talk about the curriculum, because I think we kind of went off. I kind of went off on a bit of I think that the whole there's no point these statues being taken down if we're not if the whole history of them is not being talked about or taught. Um, and I kind of think that obviously this does happen in school. Like it has to start in school because as adults we learn so much more now. But why was this not being taught in school? So mm. if anybody wants to raise any points about that kind of your experiences in school and what you were taught history-wise um, and things like that. Do you know what? Do you know what? I always, every time I think about history, it's actually very traumatic. <laughs> like my my year seven to year nine history lessons. And I'll tell you a story. And this this is so bad. that this should, No child should have to go through this. So I remember it was probably history year eight or year nine. And my history teacher was like, I don't know. I can't remember what, what the subject was for that day. But I remember he was like, okay, um, you stand on the table, 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 and then Stacey, you stand on the table. Oh my God. I was like, okay. So I stood on the table, my head nearly reaching the ceiling, and I was like, what is going on? And then he asked the class, he said, what oh my God. <gasps> I stood there like this. I'm just, imagine, I'm like 13 oh or however, God. I'm 12. And he was like, oh! they're all immigrants. <laughs> Sorry. Where's HR at your school? <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know what HR was then. 
And I just stood, I remember just like, and I remember, honestly, I remember feeling sick that day. And then after that, I just like forgot about it. And it's not until I was like 18 and I was just like, and then I was learning about the history and then this came back to my mind. And I was like, how did I let something like this slide? Like, this is not, this, this should, that should have never been normalized and should have been reported straight away. But it's, it's like when we're in education, a lot, sometimes a lot of the teachers can very much yes. get away mm. with that kind of language and treating students like that and then on top of that the curriculum is whitewashed and everything is so centered as to like mm. white people yeah. can do no wrong yeah and i think that those two correlate a lot and and like you said before like anything that i learned about like like black people wasn't mm. about black british history i could, i cannot tell you a single fact mm, that i learned in school that. about black british history but i know Thanks. I know about Gandhi, I know about Martin Luther King. Mm. A little bit about Martin Luther King, though. <laughs> like, like, Judas. I know about... <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I know, but I don't... And I and I don't know, and it's such a shame because, like, sometimes we feel like... Well, I don't know, at that age, I kind of felt like, well, what can I relate mm. to, like, American yeah. black history? Like, I don't, I don't... I don't get it, but, like... And I... And I was going to a school that was like at the edge of Bristol, so I was like, oh, "I should have mm. learned about Edward Coulson." Definitely, hundred percent. But I was never taught that history until I became old enough mm. to like do research on my own. And unfortunately, that's what happens. And I had to do that research on my own. And then a lot of people don't do that research on their own, and then they think that all of these things that they were taught in secondary school are yeah. are like a hundred percent facts. Mm. Well, that's even linked to how like Winston Churchill was kind of portrayed and people's negative reaction mm. to his statue getting defaced because a lot of people just don't know what he was actually really like mm. I feel like in the greater public mm. I don't know unless you would really want to look for it I feel like mm. people just kind of don't know I've got an interesting point but I will, it's gonna be in a really roundabout way so just hold tight so you okay. so you know the <laughs> counter protesters mm-hmm. like I don't want to give this a lot yeah, of time and yeah. I don't want to talk about it because I don't think it's worth it however I got sent a link that was like, Greater Manchester, illegal raves, man dies, woman raped and three stabbed. And then my partner says, well, surely we'll see them out in Manchester too. Um, These kids are disrespecting the great British community. Um, Hopefully they'll head up there to protect it. So I was basically saying that like, the reason why no one's out there counter-protesting in full force is because kids in raves aren't making people challenge their like racist assumptions and like think think about racial injustice and the reason why educating or like decolonizing the curriculum is so essential is not just about fostering a sense of belonging amongst black people like black students and people of color and immigrants Mm -hmm. it's not just about creating a sense of like you know there have been so many contributions to British society by immigrants by black people but it will also just kind of nip this notion in the bud that like they're coming over here and taking our jobs like it's just not factual like Mm. it's not a new thing Mm. immigration and migration isn't a new thing there were black people during tudor times you mentioned tudor Mm. times there were black people during tudor times we don't learn that why does Mm. our education about um black oh well yeah black people in um like america and black people in britain why does that start with slavery like it should go beyond that and Mm. like 
I mean, I don't know. Did someone tell me their brother was like had to write a runaway slave document? No. So in mine at Abba's secondary school, one of the pieces of homework that got set was as part of learning about the slave trade to go home and to make a poster for auctioning a slave. Yeah, not not when we were in school. Not oh, this is like, like a few this years is like after we left. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we went to an all girls school. So girls had to go home, research the requirements of what, like, what selling a good slave would be, create a poster, and then the teachers would mark it, and they'd put comments like, mm, "You should provide more detail about what Negroes were like at that time," mm. and things like that. So oh, that's God. problematic. One because you've got black young girls reliving trauma mm, about how yeah. their ancestors like them were sold because of physical characteristics mm. that they still have and racial structures that still exist and also it does just like subconsciously I feel like it props up that narrative of us as like we were once bought like if you're asking somebody who doesn't know a lot about black people to go back and research about when slaves were sold you cannot tell me that subconsciously that won't reinforce some of the thinking that they might have that isn't necessarily necessarily positive about black people's place in this country mm. or their mm-hmm. ability to be autonomous beings you know with full mm-hmm. cognizant thinking and intelligence and do other things and just like work in that sort of sense um so yeah it was i just think it was really poor and i want to i want to know who set that task honestly, i want to speak to the manager and i think <laughs> i want to file a complaint that is vile it's absolutely vile and i think like decolonizing the curriculum has to happen through like the um the department of education but it is also about people individual mm. people who work in um mm. education because if you were somebody with any sort of moral thinking or understanding of race relations or anything you would never set kids that homework and I think like teachers really need to go (laughs) like when you we have like um those twitter pages particularly in our area of all of the racist experiences that kids have had in the education system and teachers really they frame so much of your thinking of yourself when you are in school Mm. and they have so much power over young people and it's really disturbing to me that like there are teachers that will teach these sorts of things and like Stacey said, um, get kids on the table and say, look, all of these are immigrants. And linking back to Dom's point about, you know, we were here for a really long time, but history doesn't teach that. How does he know that your family were immigrants? You could have been here, uh-huh. you could have been here longer than his family that moved from a different country. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's really, and exactly. it is that narrative that like all black people came over, you know, around Windrush time, all that time, we weren't here for a long time. How does he actually know that all of you are immigrants? That is just such... Yeah. That is, that is really racist thinking yeah. just because you're different coloured skin to get you up all on the table and be like yeah. you didn't come you didn't you weren't born here you didn't belong here yeah. you came over here um, and you can't make that assumption because even if exactly. even if you were that's something to be proud of like I I always yeah. used to think that oh yeah I was born here so like yeah I'm British and you know but then really think about it like you're a second generation immigrant because our parents came here they weren't born here and it's funny how I remember mm. when um I was so like with pharmacy you have to apply to be on a pharmacy register and there's like all these like legal things that you have to go through in terms of like handing a birth certificate and stuff like that and if you weren't born in the country obviously there's a slightly different avenue just just all fine in that I remember someone said to me like oh absolutely like you've got to get it done quickly because you know you weren't born here and I was like what (laughs) and I said I absolutely was born here and she was like oh no way I I just assumed you like you're from Ghana you say your parents are from Ghana so like I assumed you were born then I was like no 
you can't make that assumption and even if like that teacher like you said Stacey had said you know all of them are immigrants what if you like one of you were like for example um like Dominique you weren't born in England like you were born in South Africa and you mm. came here so imagine like if in your school someone had said that like you can't like how well like how would you there's absolutely nothing wrong with that like you can't mm. you don't know what kids are going yeah through. I guess I would like, just kind of be like and so it, yeah like I probably like mm. my mum obviously yeah. I was a minor when I like came here I don't want to like get into so much detail but like the amount of like knowledge that you need to have about the country and the laws in order for you to pass a life in the UK test my mum probably knows more about the UK than a lot of British people know exactly. about the UK mm-hmm. so like, 100%. Don't, like, don't for one second think that like it's easy or it's cheap because yeah. it's not it's not either of those things yeah. it's so expensive to apply for visas to apply for indefinitely to remain to buy your passport then you mm. have to go to this ceremony where there's a picture of the queen and sing the <laughs> national anthem and then your name gets written in a book and you have to pay hundreds of pounds for that and then yeah. after you have so to deal with loads of people telling you that you know you're not yeah. from here you don't have you're a right to be here. here and if you don't yeah. like anything you know then you can just, just go, go back, back on just go, go back it's ridiculous and you know what's sad like i mean i remember even like when then he then he told me to like stand up and i was like right okay and then then during that experience whatever i feel like nobody mm. thought i was british and i was like that's cool and do you know what? at the end of the day i don't care if you think i'm british or you don't mm. think i'm british it is what it is um but I had to, I remember I had to do a lot of explaining because, so my, so, so I'm second generation Nigerian. Um, my parents came here, like, to be fair, we moved to, the, we moved to England, what, 16 years ago. And before that, I grew up in mm. Switzerland. Mm. And I lived in Switzerland for 10 years, no, nine years or something like that. And I was mm. born in America. So every time, so whenever I'd have to have these conversations, I remember, I remember having a conversation with my history teacher. And I was like, but I'm from Switzerland. Because yeah. obviously, like, I was young at the time. So I was mm. like, I'm not really British yet, but I'm Swiss. <laughs> like, I'm Swiss-American. And he's like, yeah, but oh, where are your British that. from? And I was like, I was born in America, so I'm American as well. And he's like, oh, where are your parents you from? I was, like, I was like, they're Nigerian. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> yeah, where Literally. And I was like, exactly. It made me feel like I had to, like, I could exactly. only identify one thing. Yeah. <laughs> And I was very, con- I was very confused as to like, I reside here, I've lived mm. here, I have this passport for this, I have mm. like indefinitely. Do you know what I mean like, why can mm. I not be a multitude of things? And I feel like, at that age, I'm just annoyed. <laughs> I let a lot of things slide mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm. It's such a frustrating. I'm really yeah. But do you only think that's because like when we're younger, we we generally don't see it as like, oh, this is where I'm really from. Like this, it's like this is all you know. So it's almost like it's so, it's irritating for us to be hard on our younger selves. Because the mentality we have now yeah. is not what we had as teenagers. Like no. our parents didn't bring us up to be like, you know what? You need to you need to realize that every single person who looks at you are going to look at you different. I mean, sometimes they would, you know, they kind of say, it, but you don't really necessarily have that mentality. So I think in the sense yeah. of all that, we also need to have grace on ourselves, especially when we were younger. Because I can imagine now, Stacey, you look at your you look at your younger self and you think, in that moment, I should have said mm. this, this, and this, and really put this guy <laughs> in his place. He would have got it all. Um, but oh, I mean, all of talking about like how we feel omitted from British 
history and the impacts of that both for like propping up I think quite dangerous narratives for people who are racist to use against us and also for like adding more stress on us as people who have like multiple places that we feel our home and how we navigate that space um one of the things I've heard about the replacement for Ed- Edward Colston has been about the Bristol um busboys and I thought that would be really, really good for you yeah. to touch on, Stacey, because I think this is this is a really good case study of what we're talking about. Like, a lot of us don't know these really big, momentous um, occasions, both for British history and Britain as we know it now, but also for, like, Black people who are British. Um, mm. um, yeah, so, do you know what? And it's actually a shame that we never got taught this, but, I mean, the Bristol bus, boy- um, bus boycott was really integral in, like, race relations law. Um, and there was a time when in the 60s so that's not that long ago i mean where black people would want to get jobs in the uk in bristol um like no no like no blacks allowed and then it came to the point where they didn't want to let um black people drive buses so just even to have a profession um and obviously um i mean they were they were infuriated and the beauty about bristol is that there were there's something called the seventh saints of st paul's and st paul's is um like is like the city centre of what people would call like where all the black people are in Bristol. And it's very close to the city. And it's actually, what's mad is that you have, you have like St Paul's and Eastern. So people normally associate that as like, that's where black people live. And you have the city centre, walking distance. And then on the other side, you have Clifton, which is like the whitest of the whitest of the whitest areas. And the disparity is mad. But yeah, so you have the seven St Paul's um with names like um Paul Stevenson, um Carmen Beckford, if you have a look at them, really integral people in in, in like race relations law. So what um some of those people did is that when they wouldn't let them drive the buses, they literally we have this road called Park Street, which is like where all the like the bars are, it's in town, and it's a hill like this. Yeah. <laughs> and the bus, the bus stop goes like this. The bus goes like this, yeah. So the bus stop is here before the hill goes up. And what they did is they literally, a huge amount of black people just sat in front of the bus and blocked the whole road so that the bus literally couldn't pass. And they did, I think they did this for like, I don't want to get my facts wrong, but it's almost like a year. Like they did this continuously and they wouldn't let the buses, they wouldn't let the buses go. And it was a huge protest. And that was actually a huge um, part. And then shortly after, um, laws were put in place um, about like being um, racist and discrimination etc so it played a huge part into like how we are able to walk the street and it's against the law to like discriminate mm. based mm. on the color of our skin i mean but racism mm. i mean even though it's illegal it, it happens but um it, it was a huge part and like these people are glorified in bristol because they actually these exactly. are the people that are mm. and white and have like made a huge impact um into into like society and for me to be able to walk the streets of like the city do you know what I mean so 100% I feel like that's what should be there but at the same time it's really sad because there have been monuments of that um of like black yeah. people in Bristol that have been like oh defaced God. because people are angry like the gravestone and then there's we have one statue of a black man who's a poet and pe- someone called bleach oh all over gosh. it do you get and me it's, retaliation it's insane Sorry. because we're arguing for statues to come down of people who have created mass atrocities and their their response is just to, to deface um, statues of black people who actually have contributed a lot. Can you not just, when you make that choice, can you not just weigh up what you're doing here? Like, 
Yeah. You're beefing us yeah, because you want to get rid of the statue real. of somebody who sold people for a living. Like, how is how is that problematic? Mm. And I think Dom, you made a really good point about um, like people protecting people in the past with the argument that like, oh, those weren't the morals and the values at the time. I don't know if I said that, but sure, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's like a huge morality problem. Like people back then, morals still existed. Whether Mm -hmm. it was in law or not for you to sell people, they still should have had morality not to do Mm. that. And it's the same thing now. Like, where's the, Mm. I don't know where the morality comes in with these issues and why people have so much difficulty, like understanding, okay, like, it's immoral like what's going on is immoral just because mm. it's legal doesn't mm. mean that it's okay um yeah go ahead Abba. yeah um I was just gonna go on from your point of what you were saying in terms of morality like back then and now there's it's always very easy to kind of argue the case of kind of what we believe in now the laws that we have now were not the same laws or beliefs back then so a lot of people can make that excuse that oh they did this because of we they did this because of like um for example my parents were telling me so we all know like the hymn amazing grace um it was written by john newton he was actually um i think he was a, is he a slave trader or like was very he was on that boat but yeah, yeah <laughs> like like he was very he was very prominent in kind of like the the I'm trading so of fun. slaves but it's a hymn that is sung for generations like you know you kind of just grow up knowing the yeah. hymn and, like the words and everything and it's it's like my dad was telling me that actually when he encountered god that you know he didn't stop what he was doing he still did it but he treated the slaves a lot better because at that time that's all they knew that was their kind of income that's what they had to mm. do type thing and i just think that you know in 20 30 40 years from now people will look back and think that the views that we have today will not stand the same as what they thought back then so to make the excuse of oh um they did all of these things but they did this this and this we're not trying to say that back then you know what they did what they did was wrong but obviously we understand that was their way of life or whatever Mm. but in terms of like the morality of things it's that the treating people of knew. people yeah, yeah the way that the way the, the way people are treated doesn't change throughout no. the years is still wrong and what like, and have we not moved on from that so why do you yeah. still want to uphold that that's what i don't get it's yeah. like you know we've progressed so far okay then why is it so problematic for us to take down a statue that's of somebody yeah. that was racist and was yeah. a slave trader if you're no longer racist why yeah like give the full history don't just give one aspect of history you need to give the full history like why is it in school we're only taught about people like rosa parks people like martin luther king people like nelson mandela who had to fight for equality whereas you can't learn about like dominique was saying in the beginning about people who have contributed to so many things that we use today black women black people like why can't we learn about the good things as well not just about the struggles they had to go through just to get equality and only for the equality to still not stand in this 2020 we live in i think that the reason why (laughs) the uk has such a difficult time with this particular issue is because in the UK, they're mostly people who were slave traders. They didn't actually have, Mm. I mean, they had enslaved people working in houses. Um, If you want to learn a little bit more about that, there's a documentary on BBC about, it's called A House Through Time. And it does give a little bit of insight into that history. And it's actually based in Bristol, funnily enough. Um, But um, 
I think the reason why, yeah, the UK has such an, an issue is because they kind of washed their hands of the slave trade in terms of nothing was happening on British soil. Mm. Like these atrocities weren't taking place here. So they were able to kind of by prox, like by like not being as proximate to the UK, kind of just be like, oh, well, this happened. And like, mm, just kind of not really take responsibility, even though meanwhile, they were the ones organizing the but the boat from the UK to Ghana to the US, mm. or like the, the western coast mm. of Africa to the US. Um, but yeah, I do think that plays a real part into as to why the UK specifically has trouble with this mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what the education system is like in America but because the civil rights movement and the Black Panther like the Black Panthers were so difficult to ignore at the time I can't see them getting away or as lightly but the UK just doesn't teach it and I think it's unacceptable it really is um, yeah. from everything that we've spoken about, Stacey, I know we've been talking about a lot about like the need to decolonize curriculum <clears throat> and to like tell both sides, well, multiple sides actually of history, because mm-hmm. it's not just two people. Um, and like within academia, centering other voices apart from like the dominant white <laughs> academics, it'd be really good <laughs> to hear some of the projects that you're working on at the moment. The education system, um, as, I, as I've grown to learn what it's been really about um I feel like has failed us a Mm. lot um and so I guess that kind of pushed me to really um take part in projects that allowed us to really um take the narrative that's been told um for us and not by us um and to really allow us to to kind of just take take back control um, and allow us to tell our own narrative from our own perspective. So one of the projects that I recently just did was with Bristol Museum and Art Gallery. And inside Bristol Museum and Art Gallery, and they won't, they won't mind me saying this because this is something we've been talking about for ages and something that they've mm. now taken accountability of is that they have a lot of objects in that museum that have labels that do not tell the true fact of how they were acquired um, the people that had to die mm. for this object to arrive, the fact that some of these countries have been asking for it back and yet it still sits mm. in the museum. I mean, you have the Benin bronze um, that, I mean, so many Africans were killed um, in order to take it and it was just because of a re- retaliation um, that still sits mm. there today. Um, and the um, king of the kingdom has asked for it back and there is video evidence of asking for it back um, which has been shared but yeah so what ha- so I went off a bit but basically the project The Uncomfortable Truth is called and what is is we have seven objects in the museum and there are labels and podcasts in the museum that now tell a much truer story based, um, based mm. on like research that people from that background have done um, tell a much true narrative as to how that object got there and the podcast actually give you a lot more insight as to the journey of how it was how it mm. got there how it was stolen the history of like the object so we have like a Benin bronze we have like um, a Battle of the Saints painting which depicts like um, what is it which um, talks about slavery we have um, the Delhi Durbar which um, depicts like colonialism in India as well, we have Jackson the Rhino, which talks about um, animal colonialism in Malaysia. Um, 
yeah, like we ha- we talk about the museum itself because the building that was the building, the money that was used to acquire the museum was blood money. It was men- money made through slavery. So, which is wild. Um, yeah, so that's there's there's accountability on that part, and and that's not like people. Mm. We're not going to mm. take the museum down, but um, it's 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 about mm. that accountability mm-hmm. and telling a much truer. Yeah, that's what definitely. that's what we're asking. We're not asking to tear to tear everything down. We're not asking for everything to be ripped to shreds because that's what a lot of people yeah. are now thinking. Mm. That's what we Ooh. want because. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. That's my ASOS parcel. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it... Oh my god, no, that's scared. I was like, 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 I I think her reaction was Keep the funniest thing. <laughs> 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 yeah, I was trying to like, turn her mic off, like, that's how it works. <laughs> hey, oh, sorry, do you, sorry, Stacey, do you want to continue? Yeah, because yeah. you actually... <laughs> Mama, okay. yeah. Yeah. Can you re-summarise that point? I don't know where I was. Oh, um... Okay, yeah, I'll start from here. Um, so it's not necessarily saying that we're going to tear, tear everything down because that's not what we want. Well, what we're asking is about context and it's about being able to tell a narrative and being able to tell the story that's unfortunately mm. been told for us and not by us. And because of that, it's been very Eurocentric and whitewashed and paint written in a very, like, glorified light, which is, like, and which it shouldn't be because, I mean, Bristol's history mm. is not just a white history, which, like, people are somehow forgetting so yeah that project was really good and and it was amazing because it really brought in as well a different mm. crowd to the museum a crowd that didn't mm. really come in but now that they it's like it's two things it's like they saw black people taking part in an institution where they never really saw themselves in and they saw that we were in that space and we were actually doing something good this we is why representation is so and... important guys this is <laughs> why it's exactly. so <laughs> amen amen representation is so so important because honestly and that even encouraged myself and the team to continue working with the museum and like now we're going to work on the Edward Colston label and you could do you mean like this yeah. relationship has now developed that if you'd asked me this two years ago I would have been like what museum <laughs> no, like, <laughs> do you get me um and actually museums in terms of like art art places and art careers have the lowest amount of like black Asian and ethnic people um but yeah, so that was like incredible. I mean, what else am I? What else am I doing? Um, I took part in like a. I did a BBC documentary that was about the transatlantic slave trade, where we took where we talked a little bit about um, um, again the Bristol Museum and just the importance of like um artifacts and what they what they hold and the kind of perception mm. I have walking into space mm. compared to like a white lady walking into space and what that really means for like for my sense of identity and my history in Bristol. So yeah, that's yeah, I think I yeah, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the things I'm doing. There's a lot. So, yeah. Doing but... the most in the best way. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah um Stacey, I just I just want to say that's amazing, like all the things that you've had a hand in and all the projects that you're doing. And um I just had a, a question just before you got into um these projects that you were doing, were you quite apprehensive to do them because 
like maybe people had told you otherwise that making you like you maybe felt like your voice may not have been heard or like as um like one person or like just a small group of you wouldn't necessarily make an impact um that's a good question actually um I felt like I wasn't necessarily afraid that my voice wouldn't have an impact because the only the places the places I put myself in would be the places where I see my where I see people like voices mm. like mine having less of an impact and that makes mm. me want to be in that space more because I know that that's the space where I can make mm. the biggest difference so to me it actually draws me more into a space um and I mean it still has a lot of the spaces um unfortunately but I mean the and the beauty about the creatives in Bristol is that there's a lot of us that sort of talk the same language um and we're able to really come together and like have this we have this like I don't know what it is just this this like magnetic force um in like really creating change especially like for young people and like I mean we've had to teach ourselves a lot of a lot of our own history and the fact that we can do that and be part of like cultural institutions and be part of making a change um is really beautiful thing but yeah I think I'm not necessarily as apprehensive because I'm like you know what like this is the space that Mm. needs someone like me in or this is the space yeah. where I can make a difference. But I do always think I'm like, bro, let me just, let me, let me obviously <laughs> <keep it up. laughs> I don't want to be like in a space where, where mm. it will drain me mentally and there's yeah. no progression. Because sometimes just a lot of show. institutions are like, yeah, we want help, we want help. And they yeah. just want to make you a poster child. Yeah. Do you get me? So it's very, and that's why we're really on Bristol Museum because like we did an Uncomfortable Truth for you and we brought in a different crowd that you haven't had before. You need to make sure that you conti- we continue to have this relationship and we continue to do stuff like that because we did not come on this project mm-hmm. to be poster children. You get me? So it's also like making sure you kind of like, after I do something with an institution like that, that is not that diverse and inclusive, is making sure I stay on that because I never want to do something, then dip mm-hmm. and then they go back. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's really nice as well actually to hear about it from I know kind of someone from Bristol and like that kind of perspective because I think maybe us four are kind of guilty from making this podcast and our conversations all based yeah. around London. So I have actually really liked like hearing about a different mm-hmm. city and kind of your view on things. I mean, where can we find out more about your projects going on in this city? Just for people that are listening, maybe that are based around the area. Um, I mean. For specifically the Uncomfortable Truth project, literally all you have to do is type in Uncomfortable Truth Bristol. Um, you can listen to all the podcasts. Um, there's like seven to eight of them, and they range from like three minutes to fifteen minutes, and they're beautifully made. Um, really insightful. Um, I mean, to check out. Oh, yourself, like, no, go for it. This is your platform. <laughs> but one in the beginning, like, you got title, title of podcast. Plug it all. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you can just follow me on Instagram and it's stxce.olika. And on there, I mean, like, I'm a, I'm a creative, so I always just try and really put a creative spin on everything that I do. But um, it always centers around representation, identity, and just being like ownership of storytelling. That's like, that centers everything that I do. Yeah. Any last questions? Any final thoughts, ladies? We love to see it. We do, we do. Just love <laughs> things. We love to see it. <laughs> um, um, no, thank, thank you, you so, for so, having so, me. so much. Thank, thank you for coming, for coming on. It was so good. Day to do this yeah. and plan it with us as well. I think mm. that was so integral for us to have you in the planning process and not just be like, we're just going to 
but yeah thank you so much for taking the time and like bringing all of those nuggets of knowledge to this it's definitely things that i mean we've heard whispers of but not really heard about in full force so mm-hmm. really thank you and we'll definitely include mm-hmm. um obviously we'll follow up with a resource roadmap as we did for the first episode so definitely include your work and um the work that you're doing with museums in that as well um but yeah mm-hmm. thanks guys <laughs> <laughs> thank you we'll see y'all later hey